Welcome to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. I'm Amanda Schager, joined in the studio today with two co-authors of a peer-reviewed article from the Journal of Borderland Studies. The article is entitled, Mortality, Surveillance, and the Tertiary Funnel Effect on the U.S.-Mexico Border, a Geospatial Modeling of the Geography of Deterrence. Two of the co-authors are here today. One is Jeff Boyce. He is the academic director of the Earlham College Border Studies Program based here in Tucson, as well as Sarah Lanius. She is a geographer, also aide to Councilman Paul Durham in District 3. Talk about your work. This must be the culmination of a, a lot of work that you've been focused on over the years. How did this particular piece get started for you? That's a really great question. And I'll let Jeff say a little bit more about his work because I feel like he has just a lot of um, depth of work and research around the U.S.-Mexico borderlands that has really kind of defined his career to date. And this is a, a great extension of that work. This particular article really was born out of longstanding relationships that both of us have had with No More Deaths, which is a local humanitarian aid organization, who had approached us in 2015 asking for some assistance to make sense of some data that they had been collecting related to providing water to migrants crossing in the Altar Valley south of Tucson. There will be another forthcoming article that gets into some of that data, but it was that effort of joining together with our other co-authors of this piece, Sam Chambers and Alicia Dinsmore, and working through some of that data that really brought us together as a research team and allowed us to really think about how can we understand dynamics that other many Tucson-based researchers have put forward around the strategy of deterrence that the Border Patrol practices, the impacts as far as migrant deaths in southern Arizona, and to approach that through a uniquely spatial analysis. And so that was really kind of the start of the work that is coming out in this recent article. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of the real challenges in really understanding the border and what some of the trends are along the border is that undocumented immigration is just that. By definition, it's undocumented, which means there are not robust records right, that are kept about who's crossing, how many people are crossing, where they're crossing. In fact, the very best proxy that's generally used in academic research and among commentators and journalists are Border Patrol arrests, right? But those are only the people that the Border Patrol are catching. And so one of the things that we've been trying to do is develop other archives of data that can also be used as proxies to understand some of these dynamics out in the desert. And as Sarah said, what we've really been interested in understanding are how particular enforcement practices are both affecting the geography of where people are crossing, the conditions of where they're crossing and how they're crossing, and what are the implications then in terms of the human outcomes that we can see on the border, including the thousands of people who we know have died over the last several decades, many of them in our own backyard here in Arizona. 
this research article in particular was an effort to really understand how different kinds of enforcement infrastructure deployed in the borderlands along the U.S.-Mexico border are impacting on the geography of where people are crossing. And then, of course, the conditions that result from that, you know, the implications for actual people uh, who are involved in, in that crossing. And we looked specifically at the SBI net system, which was really the most developed and most ambitious example of what's often been referred to as a virtual fence or a smart border. This effort to network remote sensors with camera towers, with other kinds of surveillance equipment like ground radar and infrared technology, things like that, in order to be able to remotely detect and categorize and then trigger some type of law enforcement response to folks crossing out in in the desert to unauthorized migrants. This program was implemented between 2006 and 2011, and the Congress initially appropriated $3.5 billion to the SBI net program. Its ambitions were elaborate and ambitious. Eventually, they intended for it to become border-wide. It was tested here right outside of Tucson in the Altar Valley. And it was ultimately canceled in 2011, frankly, because it didn't work, or at least the technology didn't work in the way that the Department of Homeland Security wanted it to uh, in the way that they claimed it would work in terms of being capable of remotely detecting people who were who were crossing and, and categorizing who they were and then being able to um, relay that information in real time to the Border Patrol agents out there. There was delay after delay for the program implementation. Some of the well-known failures were the breakdown of, of its communication relays. So the information simply wasn't able to be passed along through the technical relays in order to get back to, say, a Border Patrol dispatch or to agents out in the field. Um, Another thing that really limited the system was these ground sensors have really been been used by the Border Patrol since the 1970s, and they're constantly being triggered by wildlife and animals and rainstorms and and, and wind and things like that. Well, that continued with SBINet. The system wasn't able to resolve that problem. The camera towers were built 98 feet up, and when you had high wind conditions, right, they would move back and forth. You would have this, this image that was almost impossible to decipher. So there were all kinds of environmental conditions that were a problem. But finally, most significantly, despite being 98 feet high, the towers were, the the cameras and all the other sensors were blocked by the train itself, right? It's really rugged. For those of you who spent time out in the desert, you know how difficult some of that landscape is. You know, you have mountains and canyons and arroyos and, and, and all kinds of, you know, topographical features that actually limit your line of sight. So ultimately in 2011, SBINet was canceled because it didn't work, at least as intended. But we wanted to understand, despite those technical problems that the system had, you know, did it have impacts in other ways, right? And, and specifically in how people were crossing and where they were crossing. What we found was that in, in fact, it did. It had considerable and measurable impacts on where people were crossing and specifically on where people were dying out in the desert. And I'll let Sarah now talk a little bit about that. Sure. I mean, it might be helpful, too, for listeners, you know, just to understand that this idea of the funnel effect is probably not new for many Southern Arizonans. You know, we were aware that in 1994, as the U.S. Border Patrol was building more walls in urban areas, that scholars started talking about a funnel effect individuals being moved into more remote areas. Many of those were the southern Arizona desert. Since that time, scholars have observed kind of additional funnel effects 
the move from um, even more remote areas within southern Arizona, so deeper into mountainous areas. What our spatial modeling shows is that they're right and that we can actually quantify the degree to which that's happening. So what we see is a very kind of clear distinction between pre and post SBI net towers being constructed and and put in in southern Arizona, where individuals are actually burning more calories to try and cross southern Arizona. They're moving further and further out into more treacherous terrain, and that's actually where we are seeing the bulk of human remains recovered at this point, all in the effort to try to avoid coming into kind of the viewshed, if you will, of these tower systems and other surveillance activities that are happening in the area. We refer to this as the tertiary funnel effect, and it's the first time that we've had the ability to actually kind of quantify and model what the impacts of the strategy of deterrence are on the lives of migrants who are crossing. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that the research that has been done on this um, previously, and even the concept of the funnel effect itself, originally began with Raquel Rubio Goldsmith, who is a professor of Mexican-American studies at the University of Arizona, and Dan Martinez, who's a professor of sociology, uh, more recently has has really advanced that work. So we really see our research building on theirs. And I think Southern Arizonans should be really proud of the really rich traditions of both scholarship, academic work that is, you know, really critically trying to capture and analyze what's happening here on the border, in particular, the humanitarian and human rights implications of it, as well as all the activism that happens here um, related to these issues. To say a little bit more about uh, what we did, in addition to measuring the visual extent of basically what the towers were capable of seeing, the SBI net virtual fence system, what that could actually see based on publicly available information, we also, uh, and this was really Sam Chambers' work, one of our co-authors, he developed a model based essentially on terrain features and, and using techniques that have been developed through military sci- science and uh, transportation planning, um, these kinds of fields, in order to come up with a model of the difficulty of traversing this landscape on foot, but measured in terms of calories, like the amount of energy that the body is burning as you move through through that landscape. And again, this was done based on landscape features like the topography and, and slope and the, the frequency with which that slope changes and the degree of slope and vegetation, the concentration of of vegetable matter in the landscape, which is also a barrier, right? Anyone familiar with the desert, I think, understands that. And so what, what we ultimately found was that, in fact, the towers were having this measurable impact on where deaths are happening out in the border, that after SBI net goes up in starting around 2007, you see a statistically measurable shift of where people are dying outside of this visual range which also corresponds to routes of travel that are more difficult. It's worth mentioning that during this very same period, there was a dramatic increase in the rate of mortality here in the borderlands. Oftentimes, people talk about the number of deaths along the border, uh, and that's been consistently over 100, over 150 since the year 2001. Sometimes this has been as high as, as 280 deaths, right? Or specifically bodies that are recovered from the desert. In the Arizona sector? This is in the Tucson sector, yeah. This is in the Tucson sector. So that's just one part of the border. I think that's really important to emphasize. So typically people talk about the number of deaths, but if you 
actually compare that number to the volume of of migration measured in terms you know the normal way that people measure that is to look at the the number of border patrol apprehensions in any given year and then uh, so if you if you compare the number of deaths to the number of apprehensions as like a proxy for the number of people crossing the the rate of mortality uh, during the same period that SBI net became operational skyrocketed um, in fact it, it it tripled between 2008 and 2011 alone and it's continued to grow since right and so we also think that our research has explanatory value it helps to explain why this rate of death right the the proportion of people dying on the border has gone up so dramatically. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. What we were attempting to do was to say, okay, we can actually look at all of these factors of the terrain. We can look at where bodies are being recovered, and we can actually account for the amount of caloric cost to to the individual body that it takes to actually move through this terrain. All of that taken together, when you put it in the context of the fact that since you know 1990 to 2013, exposure accounted for 45% of all recorded migrant deaths in southern Arizona, right? So when we start to think about this additional caloric cost that's being expended precisely because of these kind of smart border technologies, we can start very easily and quickly to understand the role of the strategy of deterrence as actually resulting not only in migrant deaths, but its successfulness as being based on those fatalities, right? So they're intimately connected. You're listening to 30 Minutes from 91.3 KXCI Tucson. My guests today are two of the co-authors of a report that was submitted to the Journal of Borderland Studies. It is Mortality, Surveillance, and the Tertiary Funnel Effect on the U.S.-Mexico border, a geospatial modeling of the geography of deterrence. Those authors with me today are Jeff Boyce and Sarah Lanius. So one of the implications of all of this has to do with the way that the debate about the smart border technology, this virtual fence technology, has unfolded. Typically, it's been divided between champions of the technology who say that these high-tech solutions are becoming more and more sophisticated all the time and that they can essentially resolve some of the enforcement challenges that the Border Patrol has. And also, because they're more sophisticated and less of an eyesore, maybe, they're less of an onerous kind of infrastructure to put up than, say, a physical wall. Right, so we've seen exactly that argument coming out, for example, uh, in the most recent round of, of congressional negotiations related to President Trump's demand for a border wall. And it came out from Democrats who said, no, instead, we should do this kind of smart border thing. On the other hand, you've had people who've said, who've looked at the track record, going back not just to SBINet, but before that you had ISIS, which was, you know, in, in retrospect, now that because of the geopolitics that there's also another group out there called ISIS. It's funny that this was the name, but this this was for the, the system, the high-tech surveillance system that preceded SBINet. Uh, at the time was called ISIS. Before that, there was a system called ICAD, which was also deployed by the Border Patrol. All these were meant to be this kind of virtual fence technology. And it's never really worked, uh, at least the way that its proponents have claimed. And this is why then you consistently have 
new rounds of appropriation and and the launch of new programs that are meant to fix all the problems that existed in the previous one, right? And and this is also a really lucrative market, right? There's all kinds of companies involved in this. Boeing was the company that managed SBINet. Uh, more recently, Elbit Systems, an Israeli company, is managing the current high-tech uh, network that's being deployed here in Arizona. So you have these two sides, right? One is like, this is great technology. We should do it. On the other hand, it doesn't work. We shouldn't do it. And then occasionally you've had civil liberties advocates in the mix as well saying that, well, this is this is also this normalization of surveillance on U.S. soil and, and we shouldn't do it for that reason. But what our research really shows is that even if the technology doesn't work as intended, right, it is having this effect of continuing to push people into more remote, more difficult terrain with an impact on where people are dying and likely also contributing to this this increase in the rate of death over time. So it's actually aggravating, right, all the conditions that are, that are causing people to die out in the borderlands. Um, and so that also reveals, right, that the strategy that the Border Patrol has been using since the 90s to use the environmental conditions of the border to cause hardship to people, to cause suffering as a deterrent, right, in order to deter people from attempting to cross in the future. This remains an ongoing project, and we can understand these kinds of infrastructure programs in that context. So we haven't measured the increase in checkpoints across southern Arizona, but I think there's there's strong reason to believe that you could group that into the same kind of project, right? I mean, the checkpoints, one of the critiques of the checkpoints has been that, well, you know, they don't seem to catch that many people. And the Border Patrol says they don't keep statistics on that. But independent research has examined the checkpoints and said, well, they're not really catching that many people. So why why does everyone have to go through the inconvenience of being scrutinized and asked for papers and searched? when they're going about the routine activities. Well, if we apply the same lessons from our research on SBINet to the checkpoints, you know, one of the things that we might at this point speculate, because as I said, we haven't studied, but there's a strong reason to believe that really what the checkpoints are doing is simply the same thing. They're causing people to have to cross through more remote terrain and also cross longer distances, right? Which is the same logic, right? Of using landscape conditions and the environmental, the climate, right, conditions to maximize the hardship that people are exposed to. And we know the outcomes. We know the outcomes in terms of the, the thousands of people who are dying uh, here in the border. I think one of the additional outcomes that always bears repeating is that it also increases the amount of money that are going back to cartels who are involved in human smuggling. So, you know, that is an outgrowth of our desire to expand the strategy of deterrence. Um, it is a strategy that continues to kind of shift. Uh, every time we add additional surveillance, it gets expanded in different ways. But because it's not necessarily a goal of actually eliminating either the need for unauthorized migration and or eliminating it completely, one of the known metrics that the Department of Homeland Security uses to see what impact their uh, strategy of deterrence is having is whether or not the cost of migration is increasing. Well, follow that to its end. Um, you're producing a lot more revenue for cartels who are operating throughout the borderlands and beyond. That's exactly right. This is written out explicitly in the very first strategy documents in 1994 that launched the strategy of deterrence um, when they first pushed migration routes outside of places like El Paso and San Diego and into the desert. They said, we are going to measure the success of this based on the cost that people have to pay to hire a smuggler. And also, they said, we're going to measure the success on this based on the proportion of people who 
come to depend on the smugglers, who end up hiring a smuggler instead of crossing on their own. There is research here out of the University of Arizona, again, by people like Dan Martinez and Jeremy Slack and, and Scott Whiteford, that has shown that, in fact, not only is the dependence on a smuggler almost universal today, and the smugglers control the routes and they use all kinds of violence to enforce that control, but also the this cost has gone up substantially over the last decade. At one point, um, it might have been a few hundred dollars that you would pay to a guide. By the early 2000s, it was up to maybe a thousand or two thousand dollars. And now it's even higher, four thousand, five thousand, six thousand dollars. Our research also helps to explain why that might be the case, right? If people are having to navigate uh, more remote terrain and, and know where the surveillance infrastructure is in order to avoid it, and cross longer distances, walk longer distances to arrive at a destination, then they become increasingly dependent on the professional guides who know the landscape and who have their own infrastructure and their own counter-surveillance techniques, right? Ultimately, as Sarah says, the outcome of this is if we want to have a border policy that's actually reducing the power and the, and the revenue of the cartels, right, this is having the exact opposite effect. I think it's a good question to ask, can you have a smart wall? Is there such a thing? Who does it make smarter? Who does it make better? Um, What is the role of surveillance moving forward? And we've heard a lot of discussion about that coming out of DC during the debates around the border spending bill and the presentation of a smart border as a more palatable approach. And, you know, what we find looking at SBINet and looking at specifically the, the modeling in our work is that certainly what we can say is that smart borders can be equally deadly. And I think it goes without saying that for those of us who are really mindful about wanting transformation of uh, border and immigration policies, it is really appropriate to ask whether we can ever have an enforcement strategy, and I should be specific, an enforcement strategy that stands alone and is our predominant approach that will ever actually be able to be smart enough to respond to the needs that we experience both as border residents as a, and as a country more broadly. And the most recent bill that passed Congress and was signed by President Trump last week included $100 million for the very kind of smart border virtual fence technology that we've been discussing here. And the Democratic negotiators were championing that technology as an alternative to the physical wall that Trump has wanted to construct overall, right? The Democrats actually embraced a spending package of about uh, $1.4 billion for quote-unquote border security, and then have been walking around, you know, celebrating this as a great win, or at the very least as a reasonable compromise over what the president's been wanting. And I think that what we really need, those of us who are from Southern Arizona um, and from the communities impacted by the militarization of the border, is a de-escalation of these enforcement measures and a decoupling of the immigration debate and the immigration conversation from a focus on the border itself. You know, for 30 years, there's been basically this presumption that the country's immigration system and all of the ways that it's flawed can be resolved by militarizing the border. Well, we've seen the human costs of that. uh, And we've also seen just the utter failure of that to deal both with the needs of border communities, but the realities of our immigration system more broadly. So I think that that's also a very clear implication of our work. We'll have to leave it there. You've been listening to 30 Minutes on 91.3 KXCI Tucson. Our guests today were Jeff Boyce 
and Sarah Lanius. They're both two of the co-authors of a journal article entitled Mortality, Surveillance, and the Tertiary Funnel Effect on the U.S.-Mexico Border, a Geospatial Modeling of the Geography of Deterrence. The article appeared in Journal of Borderland Studies. 